Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Thursday, January 7th, 2016. Yeah, we got a zinger of a program for you today. In fact, it's just awful. Now that I think about it, it's really awful. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy and bizarre things being said out there by the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-proclaimed apostles, and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group Bible study curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Bible. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that's really the case. It really is about instead of... And what we do is we test to see if what they're saying squares with what God's Word says, to see if they're teaching us sound biblical doctrine, historic Christian Orthodox biblical doctrine and theology, or if they're twisting God's Word and generally teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to be teaching. And uh, and over and again, we find that what's being put forward by people you know, that are very popular, put forward by the evangelical industrial complex, that what they're saying, yeah, it doesn't square with God's word like at, at all. And so this program is a, um, it's a service to the body of Christ in teaching biblical discernment. It is a service to the body of Christ in helping you rightly understand God's word and to also warn you and uh, help warn your friends and family and other people about the dangers of uh, of what's you know uh, of what's being put out there uh, by uh, people in the religious marketplace, and unfortunately, so much of it is not Christianity, and that's really actually sad, tragic, and very dangerous. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We got a lot of ground that we need to cover today. We're going to start with a Joel Osteen slash Victoria Osteen update. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's kind of mucho importante. Um, One of the things I've recently discovered, and I'm kind of kicking myself for not finding this sooner, is that um, Lakewood, where um, Joel Osteen holds court, um, they actually put their full weekend service 
uh, available online on the internet for you to watch and for you to, you know, see and participate, including the praise music and all that kind of stuff. And uh, one of the things I find rather fascinating is that Joel Osteen isn't the only one who preaches there. No, every single week that Joel Osteen preaches a sermon, his wife, Victoria, also preaches a sermon. And I've listened to several of her sermons, uh, you know, for the past month or so, and they're just awful. They are absolutely a train wreck. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a Joel Osteen slash Victoria Osteen update. We'll listen to their introduction to the beginning of the new year thing that they did. We'll listen to a little bit of Victoria, and then we're going to do a money-grubbing televangelist update. And uh, Kenneth Copeland, uh, we're going to listen to his New Year's Eve service where he claims that he has direct revelation from God. And uh, the important salient part of what you're going to hear in today's episode actually is now an exhibit in the Museum of Idolatry, and which, by the way, we'll segue after that, is that after the break sometime, it depends on how far we get into uh, you know, into things here, I'm going to uh, invite back on the program Stephen Kozar as we kind of give an update on what's going on with the Museum of Idolatry. And we even have Museum of Idolatry update music and uh, and we'll we'll be talking about you know kind of the state of the church and, and some of the criticisms that we've been receiving and things like that. And uh, then we in hour number two we're going to go to the um, uh, C three Church in San Diego, California, and uh, listen to Phil Pringle. Uh huh. Phil Pringle um, give um, a, a sermon entitled "The Parable of the Dog." And, I, those of you out there who are into lordship salvation, um, are going to find this to be really embarrassing. Uh, yeah, this is probably one of the most bizarre lordship sermons I've ever heard in my life, which of course kind of begs the question is, is lordship theology really, um, uh, the doctrine of justification rightly explained, but, uh, we'll have to get to that in today's episode of fighting for the faith. So I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We have a, a literally a ton of ground that we need to cover. And since we're going to start with a Joel Osteen and Victoria Osteen update, that requires us to do this. When I'm feeling lonely, sad as I can be. All by myself in an uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shining teeth and me. My shining teeth that twinkle just like the stars in space. My shining teeth that sparkle and beauty to my face. My shining teeth that glisten just like the Christmas tree. That's right. So uh, we're going to be listening. Oh, man. We're going to be listening to uh, Joel and Victoria Osteen and uh, as they kick off the new year. And uh, oh, is this bad? This is just awful. The, I mean, talk about scratching, itching ears. It's clear that that's what Joel and Victoria Osteen are all about. Don't expect to hear anything truly biblical because I don't think they're capable of that. Uh, but here are both Joel and Victoria to welcome the people there at Lakewood and uh, give them a word of encouragement as they go into the new year. Here we go. Start 2016 off giving God praise and thanking Him. So blessed to have you here today. And you are starting the new year off right by 
by honoring God, by putting Him first place. And you know, I think it's important how you start the year. You've just taken the first step. But not only that, we're going to take the limits off of God and say, You're going to what? You're going to take the limits off of God. <laughs> well, there goes the doctrine of the omnipotence of God. Um, yeah, apparently God has all kinds of limits on him, and we impose them. So, uh, hmm. Yeah, I always thought Joel Osteen's God was the kind of God that you could, uh, you know, probably kick sand in the eyes of and make fun of, and he'd, you know, he'd, he'd be scrawny and wouldn't be able to actually challenge you. Uh, but uh, now I know for a fact that, that his God is kind of like that. God, we believe 2016 is going to be a year of victory, a, a year where we can be a blessing to other people as well. Yeah, how are you expecting victory from a God who you can place limits on? <laughs> well, so we're going to take the limits off of God and just believe for great things. But very honored to have you here today. How many of you are visiting? If you just lift your hands up, I want to welcome you especially. God bless you. So many are watching online and listening by Sirius XM, but we just appreciate you coming out. And I know you didn't just come for us. You came to honor God. You came to put him first place. And love that scripture. It says, when you put God first, he'll crown your efforts with success. <laughs> what? When you put God first, he'll crown your efforts with success. And you're thinking, where does the Bible say that? Well, actually, the Bible doesn't say that. And that's kind of the problem is that he's quoting Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6 from the Living Bible. Let me read it from the Living Bible. Here's what it says. In everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Which, by the way, the Hebrew there at uh, Proverbs 3, verse 6, doesn't say anything even remotely approaching that. Let me read it to you from a good translation. Proverbs 3, verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Totally different thing altogether. So, uh, yeah, <clears throat> we're not off to a good start. This this is not going well for the folks there at Lakewood. They're being deceived already. We're only, you know, mere minutes into uh, <clears throat> this service. I believe God's going to crown you with a beautiful, a strong, a faith-filled year just by taking time to honor him. Hey, if there's anything trying to hold you back today, some negative baggage from last year, this is the perfect time to let it go. Just just let your baggage go. Say, God, I'm not going into a new year offended, upset, guilty, condemned, mad at myself, mad at my neighbor. Why don't you clear the slate? The scripture says God's mercies are fresh and new every single morning. Yeah, doesn't that have something? If you weren't talking about God's mercy, wouldn't that have something to do with Christ's vicarious sacrifice for our sins on the cross? and repenting and being forgiven wouldn't it require it doesn't it involve some of those things just wipe the slate clean because god's mercies are new says joel osteen doesn't sound like how we get rid of um sinful baggage we're letting go of the old and we're going to receive the new and let me just declare it 2016 is going to be a year of victory for you a year of blessing get ready for god to do something new how many of your believers in here this morning and not doubters i know you are are you a believer not a doubter thanks for coming out today uh-huh. Now for a little bit of Victoria. Amen. That is so good. And I'm expecting 2016 to be an amazing year. I'm believing God to do great things in all of our lives. And that's yeah, one size fits all. Yeah. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to believe him for some great things. We're believers. That's our job is to just believe. You know, we're be just believe. Believe what? 
The work of a believer is to believe. Again, believe what? So just check this morning. What are you believing for? Um, Yeah, see, Scripture never tells us to believe for something. We are to believe in Christ. Trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins. Trust in him for eternal life and salvation. So there's, we, it's in and then for. But notice, we, you know, she, she's not talking like that. Um, wow. So what are you trusting God for? Check and see. Am I believing for big things in my life? Yeah, check and see. I, how big are the things are you believing for? I mean, they got to be big, you know. Am I believing for God to do the impossible? Are you? Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, because I believe that God can save even me. Or am I only believing for what I can see I can accomplish? Uh, what? See, I think sometimes we fall into that trap. We can only believe for what we think we can accomplish. But God is saying, come into this new year believing what I can accomplish in your life. So I want you to get your expectancy up today. So I need to get my expectancy up. Yeah, wow. Well, yeah. Apparently my expectancy has been too low. Okay, amen. He no. is an amazing God. Yeah, indeed he is. And I believe as he looks down on us right now here at Lakewood Church, and even those who are watching or listening by Sirius XM, he sees the body of Christ. He sees his body on the earth. And, you know, think about a physical body. Our body has many parts, and our, our, our different parts can do many things. My fingers can do things. My toes can do things. My body functions in many different ways. And it's the same with the body of Christ. There's many different parts. We function in many different ways. We have different assignments, different callings. But the interesting thing about the body of Christ, when we come together, we become whole. We become holy unto God. And so this is... Yeah, that would be W-H-O-L-L-Y, not holy as, you know, wow. The holy moment. The Bible says, don't forsake coming together because there's moments like this that God wants to do something in us corporately. Now, He can do things with us when we're by ourselves, when we're with our friends, but this is a holy moment right now. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, nothing holy about this moment. And God says, You've shown up, and I'm going to do something in you that I can do, only do when you're holy together as my body. Now, notice what she said God says. So she is speaking for God, but she's not saying what God actually says. She's putting words in God's mouth. This is what it means to take God's name in vain and to blaspheme God. That's exactly what she's doing. Now, I'm going to fast forward a little bit here, and uh, we're going to pick up from Victoria Osteen's sermon that she delivers Yep, every service there at uh, Lakewood that um, that uh, Joel is present and Victoria is present, Victoria also preaches. Now, this never makes it onto the television, but um, it's there on their website. So let's listen in to uh, Victoria Osteen's little sermonette. Here we go. Good to know that God's got you in the palm of his hand. Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, I, de- I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Yeah, out of context, lady, um, there's a problem right there because uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 is not a blanket promise to Christians today that, oh, God knows the plans he has for you and all that kind of stuff. No, that's part of a letter that was actually written 
specifically to the uh, the remnant, uh, those who were taken into captivity in Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar sacked Jerusalem, and only 10% of the Jews survived. And why did that happen? Because God was punishing them and disciplining them for their refusal to repent of their idolatry and worship and serve only the one true God. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God is declaring something over you right now. Yeah, I don't think so. And that is his good plans for your life. That's to give you a future and a hope. That came from the mouth of Almighty God. If you believe that God's face is shining down upon you, that 2016 is going to be your year. So if you believe God's face is shining on down on you, then 2016 is going to be your year. Let's give him one more great big shout of praise. Thank you, Lord. with Jeremiah 29 11. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It is good to have you here. God's plans for us are good. And I believe. So have you come into an agreement with uh, Jeremiah 29 11? Apparently that's an important thing to do. Come into agreement with it. Um, maybe that's how you take the limits off of God because, you know, God apparently can be limited. Who knew? But uh, we continue. 2016 or 2016. I don't know why I say 2016. It's so much cooler to say 2016. And I want to be cool. All right? I'm going to be cool in 2016. 2016 is the year of our yes. Uh, what? I believe we're going to have a resounding yes to every promise that God has placed in our life. Uh, huh. Yeah, this is uh, definitely scratching, itching ears. Really, uh, it's the year of yes. Okay. See, our yes gives God permission to bring forth his promises in our life. Uh, what? Where'd you get that? What biblical text did you get that from? Our yes gives God permission? Since when does God need permission? Our yes invites the promises into our life. God wants us to respond with a yes in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. In- okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to have to do a little bit of biblical work here. And we're going to have to do this in uh, context. So our three rules for um for sound biblical exegesis they are context context and context so notice she gave us second corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 now let's take a look at what's going on and in order to do that we're going to have to back up and take a look at chapter 1 starting at verse 1 here's what it says paul an apostle of christ jesus by the will of god And Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, and all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, 
which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that you share in our sufferings. You will also share in our comfort. Now, notice she didn't read the part about sufferings and afflictions right there in Second Corinthians chapter 1. Nope, she skipped that. Um, here's what we will continue. Uh, verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So notice here, major affliction, affliction to the point of death itself, all for the purpose of making us rely on God himself. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also may must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, and not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us and we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming to Corinth, not that we lord it over your faith, but uh, we work with you for your joy, for you to stand firm in your faith. So now we've heard it in context, okay? And Paul there, he's talking about the fact that the plans that he was making, he's not trying to make according to the flesh, because according to the flesh, it's yes or no, you know, yes, yes, or no, no, at the same time, because, you know, hey, that's how the plans of the flesh go. But he's talking about now that, you know, his plans for in the Son, uh, we proclaimed that, that in him, in Christ, you know, all of his promises are yes, and there's an amen that goes with that. Now, what she's going to do with this passage She's going to turn this into some kind of a magical mantra kind of thing. You can get what you want from God if your yes is an amen. Yeah, that's literally what she's going to say. Let's continue. Anything you can think of, God has made a promise, and it's yes in Christ Jesus. God's promises stand firm. Did you notice what she said? Anything you can think of. Anything you can think of. Hmm. 
is that Christianity? Anything I can think of is yes in Christ? They are yes as far as he's concerned. But listen to the rest of that. It says, and so through him, through Christ, the amen is spoken by us. God has already said yes, but God wants our response, which is amen. Ah, so God's already said yes. Uh-huh. Okay, so you want to win that Powerball? Yeah, yeah, God has already said yes. You just got to say amen. You, you, want a, you want a private jet? Oh, God's already said yes. You just got to say amen. You want a big multi-million dollar, you know, 10,000 square foot mansion on the hill in a gated community? Oh, God has already said yes. You've just got to say amen. Now, the word amen in the Hebrew and the Greek both translate into so be it. The promises of God, our response should be so be it. Now, it's 2016 and usually we say, yes, God. Yes, God. See, that should be our response. Every good thing, yes, God. Every promise you have for me, yes, God. Healing is mine. Joy is mine. Provision is mine. Everything I need is in you, in Christ. And I am going to resound a great big yes. Uh-huh. So healing and provision, um, that means divine health and wealth. Oh, th- those are all yours in Christ. You just have to say amen. You've received an invitation before to a wedding or some great grand uh, celebration. And when you get that invitation, you open it up and it tells you who's inviting you and where it's going to be and what time it's going to occur. And then there's RSVP at the bottom of your invitation. That RSVP, as you know, means please respond. See, the, the host has already prepared a celebration. They've counted you in. They've already prepared for you to be there. But they want to know, are you going to show up? Are you going to take part in what they have already planned? So it's RSVP. Please respond. And in much the same way, there is a please respond attached to God's promises. Yeah, the, of divine health and wealth, yeah. See, God has already prepared some amazing things for you, but he needs your response. Yeah, he, he can't give those amazing things to you until you say amen. See, the amen is spoken by you. What is your response to God's promises? All God's promises are yes, but to receive those promises, we have to say amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's not what Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 teaches. This is a prime example of what it means to scratch itching ears and to twist God's word and to teach for shameful gain the things that one ought not to teach. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have a money-grubbing televangelist update with uh, Ken Copeland, as well as a conversation I had earlier today with Steve Kozar, the curator of the Museum of Idolatry. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss him. We'll be right back. 
If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Men, this egregious foe has been plaguing the seas for long enough. To arms! Man the battle stations and hoist the colors! Aye, aye, sir. Man the battle stations and hoist the colors! And man battle station. Aye, aye, sir. You heard the man. Get to work. Come on, keep going. The enemy's not going to wait for us. Put your back to your legs. Come on, get those fighters. Get them wheeled out. No warning and no play. Come on, let's get go. Go, go, go. Captain, sir, they're turning to meet us. With this clear weather, we couldn't have had the element of surprise. Well, no matter. We have the wind on our side and our men are ready. We should be pulling up alongside them any minute now. Give me a status report! Sir, the enemy ship has us outgunned by at least three to one. The gunner's mates are reporting that we're running low on gunpowder and half the crew is suffering from Montezuma's revenge. Never fear, my good man, for it says that with God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. If you say so, Captain Furnick. They're now within firing range, Captain. Mr. Smithers, send them a... Hang on, let me do this myself. Send them a warning shot off of their port bow. Fire the cannons, I, sir! That was merely a warning shot, Captain. They could have very well have hit us. I think they wished for us to surrender to avoid bloodshed. Nonsense! You think we would surrender in our hour of triumph? God has clearly stated that no weapon formed against you will prosper. We can't lose. Let loose the cannons. But, but we're not within silence. If I wanted your opinion, I'd have given it to you. I say, fire! 
I've never seen a warning shot where they used all their cannons before. The blasted fool shot before he was in range. I can only assume that he means to not surrender. Quickly fire a barrage into their port side while they reload. Aye, aye, sir. Fire the cannons! God on my side. He said this to me, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Why why aren't we firing our cannons? We've now lost half our cannons due to the last attack. Come on, men. We can't lose. Aye, aye, sir. Are they even trying anymore? By all accounts, I believe they are. Let's pull up alongside and see if we can't reason with them. It would be bad form to slaughter them without mercy. Hello, over there! Go away! We have nothing to say to you! I wanted to negotiate the terms of your surrender. My surrender? It is you who will be surrendering to us. What on earth is he talking about, Captain? Maybe he's suffering from malnutrition and heat stroke? No, I, I think he's serious. Now look here. You're outgunned with no way of winning. We wish to show you mercy. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Why is he quoting the Bible? No, a quote would require a context. What he's done is called proof texting. Enough talk, men. Ready? Aim. What was that? I couldn't hear you over the sound of your mass being demolished. But, but, uh, no! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, would you look at that? Your rudder is gone, too. <clears throat> It'll be a little difficult for you to sail without it, don't you think? I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Is it me? Or is your ship now sinking? Nah, maybe it is me. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. If it's all the same to you, I think we've lost this fight. I'm surrendering. Geronimo! Satan's with you. I can't take another minute with this lunatic. Stop it! Stop it right now! All of you come back. We, we, we can't lose. We have... God on our side. We shall prevail. We will. Well, that was surprisingly easy. Makes me wonder how they were even viewed as a threat in the first place. Most inept sailors to ever sail the seven seas. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions 
because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture. I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Faith Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas is having a Biblical Worldview Conference February 5th and 6th, 2016 with the theme, Standing Firm in a Hostile World, to help Christians in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Biblical Christianity. Speakers will include Pastor David J. Weber, Attorney Mark Stern, Professor Alan Quist, Dr. Adam Francisco, and Pastor Joseph Abrahamson. Registration and details can be found at worldviewsa.org. Again, that's worldviewsa.org. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could help you spot those so-called pastors and preachers and pastrixes who are scratching itching ears and teaching for shameful gain things they ought not to teach. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank, and uh, rank uh, is based upon your monthly commitment. Uh, 995 is the lowest rank. Uh, that's 995 per month. And you are powder monkey at that point, 2495 for a gunner's mate, 4995 for a master gunner, 9995 for a quartermaster. These are great ways to support us by joining our crew. And we're currently, like I've been saying, looking, trying to do get to the equivalent of 600 brand new powder monkeys, uh, that have joined our crew in order for us to be able to kind of launch phase two of the, uh, Pirate Christian Radio website master plan, evil maniacal plan, if you would, and uh, but uh, we work off of a you know pay as you go. We we pay cash. We don't go into debt, and uh, and so we strategically know where we want to go. But we have to build the foundation first. We don't want to <laughs> jeopardize the longevity of the ship by taking risks. That's, we just don't have that ability. So uh, if you would like to partner with us, and please do. Again, fightingforthefaith.com, click on one of the friendly yellow buttons, the Join Our Crew button, and then pick your rank and join our crew. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly, honestly cannot do what we are doing here without it. And uh, just a reminder, if you didn't hear the uh, commercial for the uh, Biblical Worldview Conference uh, out there in uh, San Antonio, Texas at Faith Lutheran, I'm not going to be there this year, but I was there last year uh, speaking, and they've got a fantastic lineup with some of my friends that are going to be speaking there. So those of you in Texas, uh, February 5th and 6th, uh, worth heading out to uh, Faith Lutheran Church in San Antonio to their Worldview Conference on basically standing firm in a hostile world. 
And uh, you can get information about it at worldviewsa.org, worldviewsa.org. Excuse me. I choked on my words there. All right, uh, moving along, we've got a money-grubbing televangelist update. That requires us to do this. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira. Now the Deutschmark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, money, money. There's nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must hanker for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that waits the world go round, 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 You round, can keep round. your Marxist ways, but it's only just a place. For it's money, money, money makes the world. That's right, Monty Python money song. So what we're going to be listening to is uh, part of a message delivered by Kenneth Copeland at his church. And, uh, oh, this message is just the best way I can put it. He's claiming to be uh, giving direct revelation from God, conveying, if you would, a personal conversation that he had with the Almighty and giving us a revelation for the year 2016. Another prime example of what it means to scratch itching ears and to teach myths as people you know, no longer put up with or endure sound doctrine but want to have their ears tickled and want to believe that God is all about giving them their dreams, their desires. Uh, don't worry, Ken Copeland, oh, he, he, he's happy to oblige when it comes to scratching itching ears and telling people what they want to hear because he's made a lot of money, a lot of money doing that. So without any further ado, here is Kenneth Copeland from his New Year's Eve service that was uh, just convened uh, last week. Here we go. I know, saith the Lord, more than you know about what you've been through. Mm -hmm. Notice he's speaking on behalf of God, saith the Lord. He's claiming this is a direct revelation from God himself. There were times... When it was so difficult for you to keep from just throwing your hands up, just give up and quit. Uh, Notice, one size fits all on this direct revelation from God. I know that, saith the Lord. I was there. And sometimes it didn't seem like I was there, but I was there. I was there. I was the one that didn't let you quit. I was the one down in there deep, deeper than you even knew you had. I was the one in there at the moment that you just said, I've had this. I don't. Now, I don't think this is the Lord, like the Lord God Almighty, um, Yahweh. No, this is more like the Lord, like the dark Lord himself, it's the devil who's speaking. And channeling, yeah, who's, who he's channeling. This is Beelzebub, if you would. I don't need this. I'm done with this. Glory to God. Out and, but, just, but then, well, yeah, but, well, no. 
I can't quit. I, what's the matter with me? I can't quit. He said, I was the one that was scratching on you down there in the inside. Because I knew then and I know now that you're bigger than you think you are. You're more. I'm bigger than I think I am. Oh, man, I got to lose more weight. You're more powerful than you know you are. Because you see, yeah, where on earth does God talk like this about sinful human beings? See, you thought you failed. You thought this is, I've just, I've just done it again. I've just flopped again. Here I am, Lord. No, you didn't quit. You're still here. Yes, You don't know how victorious you really are. Because you couldn't see all that was arrayed against you like I could. You have no idea the forces that Satan put together trying to get you out of his way. You see, you're very important to the devil. Uh, uh, What? He hates you. You are dangerous to his affairs and to all that he has planned. And he has no defense for what you have on the inside of you. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Aha, for the best is yet to come. Has it written down that you won the battle, you stood the test, and now the good stuff happens? Glory to God. <laughs> and now the good stuff happens. Yeah, it, this is scratching, itching ears. None of this is from the Bible, and yet he keeps saying, Thus saith the Lord, as if this is from God himself. This ain't from God. It might be from a spirit, but it ain't from the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Ah, praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I was, uh, oh, some weeks ago. Well, months ago now. I I began to pray and seek the Lord about... Uh, 2016 and all that we we had come through and come out of going into this new year and, and and I kept asking the Lord what about 2016 and uh, he just he just wasn't all that talkative about it for a while and. Um, But you have to understand, it's never him being quiet. It's us being so dumb. (laughs) And I I, I finally just quietened. (laughs) Wow. I mean, this guy has got these people feeding out of the palm of his hand. He is not hearing from God. Down enough, and I said, okay, Lord. And he said, what about 2016? 2016, the great year. And I sat there. Okay. 
Of what? Okay, the twenty, the great year of what? Nothing. Well, by this time I knew I was quiet enough, <laughs> and and I realized, oh, the great year. Okay, I can, yeah, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Twenty sixteen, the great year. Okay. Well, days went by and, and then <laughs> weeks went by and, and, uh, and I kept, I kept saying, um, 2016, the great year. <laughs> and still, he didn't say anything. I'm talking about weeks now. Hey, gone by. Getting into, into months now. And we're getting, coming right up here at the, at the close of the year. And, and I was writing my partner letter just a few days ago. And I sat down there and I, to write that letter. And as usual, I've been praying over that letter for 30 days now. And I'm right, I'm sitting in the chair. Pen in hand, the total writings on the paper is dear partner. (laughs) This is nothing new. (laughs) It's been going on like this for a long time. And and I, I wrote up at the top, 2016, the great year. And I thought, well, man, I guess maybe it's just a great year. I, 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 <laughs> and I, I said, well, okay, Lord. <sighs> and just as I, I started to begin my letter, he said, let your faith fill in the blanks. Oh, Jesus. Come on, sir. Yeah. Uh-huh, right. <laughs> and then, of course, I thought, oh, why I, sh- I should have got that three months ago. I should have known what he's doing. He do oh, yeah. Yeah. The great year of deception. Healing. Yeah. Financial breakthrough. Oh, healings, financial breakthrough. Oh, it's the great you fill in the blank. God's writing you a blank check. You just fill out who you want it written to. Uh-huh. I don't think so. This is ear-scratching like you wouldn't believe. And, and, and so I began, then, then of course, I, I backed away and began to seek the Lord. Okay, here now, what are my priorities here? Man, and I started... My great year of, and, and then the more I the more I prayed, and the more I thought about it, and the more I looked into it, the more excited I got. And before I got to the end of that letter, he said, "Whatever your faith in your heart can believe, you can have it in 2016." Uh huh. 
uh, yeah, God's a big genie now. Yeah. So God, the cosmic genie in the sky has said, whatever your heart can believe for, you can have it in 2016. Uh huh. And if you believe this, I've got a bridge I'd like to sell you in Brooklyn. Listen again. He said, whatever your faith in your heart can believe, you can have it in 2016. Whatever. And, and then as, as, he be, as he began to get more talkative about it. Yeah, I know. Isn't it so great when God gets talkative? God wasn't talking to him. He's totally conning these people. And they're feeding right out of his hand. You know, you got to remember, he's he's got multiple, you know, private jets. And, yeah, it's, it's expensive to, you know, fill those things up with jet fuel. And, and he said, now, don't, don't start backing down and making room for what you can do. He, no, he said, don't do that. He said, if you start putting things on there that are possible. You mean like, just like Victoria Osteen said, don't ask God for the things that you can do. He said, you're putting things on there that you can do. He said, I don't get any glory out of that. He said, you've been doing. Yeah, you know, God doesn't get any glory when, you know, moms take care of their children. Husbands love their wives. Children obey their parents. No, God doesn't get any glory with that stuff. Nope, nope. No, he only gets glory with the impossible, apparently. Yeah, and that's weird because Scripture doesn't say this. Doing that all your life. <laughs> he said, step on out there. He said, step on out there. Get in my word and step out with your faith. And he said, let me show you my grace in 2016 and let me manifest myself in your life in the land of the living. Hallelujah. And I said, now, Lord, talk to me about that. What are you saying? He said, I want, I want others to see it. He said, I want to manifest myself to you in the land of the living. Well, then do it. Yeah, I mean, get to it. You're, you know, I mean, apparently his God is God, so uh, why can't he just get to it, you know? He said, I, when we get through it, 2016, you're going to have a testimony, brother. <laughs> now you can see when I got so excited tonight, he said, the eagle has taken off, man. Let the eagle fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more like let the uh, bovine scatology fly. That's a lot of bovine scatology flying through the air there. None of it is what Scripture says at all. That is, that's not God that's that, that, that was speaking. That was the God of this world speaking. That theology is the theology of Anton LaVey's, you know, satanic Bible. No joke. Not biblical theology. Where we're called to take up our cross, deny ourselves, follow Jesus. Nope, nope. That's, yeah. Again, fulfillment of Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes... Verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. 
and they will turn away from listening to the truth and they'll wander off into myths. And that's what people are doing who are listening to and following Kenneth Copeland, wandering off into total myths. That wasn't God speaking, but oh, people think that was God. That wasn't, that had nothing to do with Jesus Christ or with Christianity. And yet, these people are calling themselves Christians and believing falsely that they are following the King of Kings and Lord of Lords when they're not. They're being deceived by the devil himself. Sad and tragic. All right, time for an update on the Museum of Idolatry, which requires me to check in with Stephen Kozar. And we have our brand new Museum of Idolatry update music to launch us into this next segment. Here we go. On the line via Skype, I have uh, Steve Kozar, the uh, the curator of the Museum of Idolatry, and uh, I've brought him on. We're going to talk about what's in the museum, talk a little bit about um, you know common criticisms that uh, we're already starting to see pour in uh, with the relaunching of the museum, and just generally uh, you know see where the winds of uh, of weird doctrine takes us. Steve, thanks for coming back on uh, Fighting for the Faith. I love it. I'm so so glad to talk some more. Did did you say that the criticisms were pouring in? Uh, well, we we've been getting some criticisms. I don't know if you've seen that, but you know, no. I, I know we. It even... hasn't been pouring in. It's just been a trickle. Most I... of the people have been. <laughs> have you? Seen... Although I just heard um, my my wife just told me last night about some of the comments. Uh, I did the posting, uh-huh. and then and then you shared it. You always share them, so whatever you share is the only thing that really gets out there. If I share it, I'm I'm nobody at this point. But it was the one about, um, oh gosh, the guy saying, "Use the f word." Yeah, the yeah, that's right. Yeah, that yeah. And, and so there there was somebody saying, um, you know, give the new guy some time. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> well, the uh, the criticisms don't necessarily come in via fa- uh, via email. Uh, one of the things I do is, you know, I, I post it on social media, and so there's always conversation taking place on yeah. my Facebook wall, and then I ch- I check to see those people who actually share my posts across Facebook. Uh, see what kind of dialogue is ensuing if they if they are brave enough to stick their toe in the water. And you know, share one of the posts from the Museum of Idolatry on their Facebook. And I, I got to tell you, you know, uh, th- there's been quite a lot of conversation going on, and it's always kind of sad and disheartening uh, when somebody comes out of the woodwork to defend what I would consider to be some of the most indefensible stuff out there. Um, yeah. You know, now we we've had a we've had a you know a busy season you know right after you know it was the week that i went on vacation we had the uh the hillsong sleazy silent night uh that thing is still getting almost more hits than anything what is it three weeks now two weeks yep yep and uh, and it was always fascinating you know to see the the hillsong defenders coming out of the woodwork saying that this that this was an important 
you know, uh, <laughs> a theatrical um, production that, you know, was relevant and is, you know, reaching the world and the lost for Christ. You yeah. know, because um, yeah, I because, I, you know, I, I think that, the you know, one of the best ways you can actually reach people with the gospel is to have women, you know, kind of do the hoochie kind of dancing, you know, for Jesus. I mean, that'll that'll you know, that's really relevant stuff right there. You know, it's kind of like uh, Christmas in a whorehouse. I think if kids are going to love it. It's great. Who could be against that, right? Right, exactly. Okay, let's get those dolls all dressed up. Yeah, no, it's 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 unbelievable. I'm a snappy dance number. Yep. <laughs> and, and then we had the uh, then we had the uh, I haven't even talked about this on uh, Fighting for the Faith. The uh, uh, Jesse Duplantis and uh, Ken Copeland <laughs> basically claiming that uh, that the reason why God gave them. Uh, private jets is because you really can't have a good conversation with God, you know, while you're flying commercial airlines, you know, <laughs> that was just nuts. You know, that was, that was amazing. One of the things I've always had as kind of a policy in putting together exhibits for the museum in the past is that, you know, what, ha- what is reported there has to be able to be substantiated. If, if a professional journalist or, you know, or editor were to have a look at you know the museum of idolatry and what's being said or what's in the headline it, you know that they would be able to look at it and say yep that's a fair representation of what this person is saying and um and so many yeah. t- and, and so well, many times i mean we, we don't even have to try to you know to you know to you know get an attention grabbing headline the reality is all you need is a quote from the video or right, whatever right. That, you know, I that mean the, will get people's that, attention. The sleazy Silent Night one. I don't think that was the Hillsong title that they used. I don't think but, that was in their program, though. Yeah. But it was, it was, I mean, if you showed that to 100 people and said, what would be an adjective to describe this? A lot of them would say something along the lines of sleazy, because that's what they were going for. I don't know why. They never made it clear. And the thing that was so bizarre was that that was their video on their channel. They didn't have any explanation as to why we have a sleazy obnoxious version of silent night it was just there for the world to see and it was up for a year yeah and until until you posted it nobody really was paying attention and then they pulled it down an hour and a half after we posted it because yeah i just it's just so crazy like well maybe you shouldn't have done this production to begin with The, the month of rehearsals and all the you know, the thousands of hours of people's time that you put into this thing, maybe you should have just never done it to begin with. If if you're going to pull the video down, you know, it just, that says a lot. Why didn't you defend the video if it was such a good idea? Right. And, and that's, you know, over the years, that's been one of the more interesting facets of uh, having the museum of idolatry is that literally every single video that we post or we, you know, we link to, we have to make sure that we make a, a, a an insurance copy of it because what these churches post on their YouTube channels and their Vimeo channels that they're so proud of, they, <laughs> they cease to be proud of it once it appears in the Museum of Idolatry and they start to begin they start to get objective biblical critique, you know, for what it is that they're doing. And then those videos have a really bad habit of disappearing without any explanation. Yeah. And these churches never say, you know. We shouldn't have done that. It, it this has really caused you know what we caused major problems within the body of Christ by what we did. Uh, no, we we, apo- it, it, or, we apologize and we repent. Please forgive us. None. Of, they, they never do that. They, they they could have even at least said we understand that people 
are upset with his video, and we'd like to take this time to explain why we did this video. Because if you saw it in its context, what we were trying to do was present a sleazy version of Silent Night so that later on we could correct it with a more um, holy and thoughtful and quiet version. And then we would contrast it to But nobody did that. I, nope. I'm to this day wondering what was the thought behind a sleazy, obnoxious Silent Night cover song. And, and, and so, yeah, you're right. They should they should just repent and say that was a terrible idea. We, yeah. We're really sorry we did that. We're, t- we're sorry for all the trouble we caused. But it, if they didn't do that, they could at least say, wow, you know, I guess I see where you're coming from. These are the people that are always talking about being uh, open and fair and having dialogue and having conversation. Yeah. And, and that's what they're always accusing guys like us of. Well, they didn't talk to us about it. Well, you're cut off from the general public. These super pastors are not accessible, even by people in their own church, let alone by somebody, you know, like you or I, uh, at the other side of the globe. Right, right. That's absolutely right. Now, the the one of the other things, you know, that, that uh, you know, you put in the museum is uh, <laughs> this pastor in New Jersey uh, who, uh, from Liquid Church, who just was all over the uh, the release of the new Star Wars movie and literally preached a sermon um, dressed as Han Solo. Right. You know, and, and in fact, the headline for the first exhibit was "Nothing Says Desperation Like Star Wars Church at Christmas." And one of the things that came out, uh, you know, kind of in the wake of that particular exhibit, was you 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 kind of stumbled onto an entire publicity page. Created yep. by Liquid Church in order to purposely and intentionally get media attention for right. their um, for their Star Wars sermon series during the month of December. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was well done. They had contact people. They had phone numbers. They had emails. They had, um, you know, like if, if for those of you who are listening, if you don't know what a press kit is, any uh, organization, any company can create a, um, a here's a bunch of ideas for what you might want to put in your newspaper it's called the press kit yep and you and you give them everything they need and in many t- in many times a uh, newspaper is is short on content and or short on staff and they'll just take your article as it is and they'll just copy and paste the whole thing yeah and so um, it worked for this church they actually got some newspapers to carry the story and they they used the quotes verbatim right out of their own press kit which is actually a a press kit page that they had on their website and i i just thought this is not normally what we think of a church doing you know this is not normally the function of a pastor in a church but this is a a strange new world we live in yeah no and uh and i you know what else chris i just remembered i just started another article which isn't finished yet but it was an outline just 10 points of uh, how pastors can basically uh, kind of grab onto an audience and have power and create what they call a church. And you know what step number one was? No. It, it was market uh, your church, uh, create a logo, and, uh, you know, basically kind of brand yourself. That was that was step one in my little my little piece that's in my notes that I haven't really turned into a full article yet. Yeah. And here was here was a church doing that very thing. And I, um, as, a, as a musician, I played... Uh, in some of the churches around Madison here where I live, I, I, over a period of a couple of years, as I was trying to decide what church I was going to go to and was kind of trying to learn as much as I could about the different churches, I volunteered to to play uh, in a couple of different bands, partially because I wanted to help, but partially because I was curious to see what are other churches doing. Right. And one of the most interesting experiences was being involved in a startup church. 
not really being involved, but just showing up to help with the worship team on a couple of different occasions and a couple of different locations. Yep. And, and talking to the pastor, and, and he was talking about, yeah, um, you you uh, you buy a mailing list, you send out postcards. If you send out X number of postcards, you'll get a certain percentage of people to show up on Sunday morning. And from the people that show up, you know, another percentage of those people will continue coming. I mean, it's a, it's a plan to build a church through an actual marketing program. And, and of course, that church is now, uh, they've changed names or changed locations. The pastor's gone. Everything's constantly changing and shifting. They probably have a new name and a new logo and a new marketing campaign. It's just, it's really sad. At the time, I was thinking, this is a little weird, but I'm trying not to be judgmental. You know, I'm trying to be supportive because I wasn't really clear on my theology. But now looking at it with a lot more theology under my belt, I really see how this is just not working. Yeah. And (laughs) I thought of, um, remember last time we talked, we were talking about ridiculous cars from the 70s. We were talking about the AMC Pacer. Yes. I just happened to read a little bit about the Pacer. And when they came out with the Pacer, the idea of a compact car um, was was kind of an important idea at the time because of the, uh, the, the gas gas prices had gone up. AMC was trying to come up with a clever new car to kind of grab onto some market share. Right. And and the Japanese cars were very small and narrow because of the regulations in Japan, but American cars could be wider, but they could still be small. So the Pacer was AMC's uh, kind of at the last second attempt to cash in on the idea of a smaller car. But at the time, they were going to get a Wankel rotary engine. That fell through, so they had to use whatever engine they had at the very limited time they had. So they used a six-cylinder engine that was actually really bad on gas. (laughs) So they created this weird-looking sort of compact car that got really bad gas mileage. Right. And so basically they pieced together a bunch of things in, in, in a hurry and it really failed miserably. It's one of the most colossal car failures in, in the history of car production. And it made me think of what's going on in a lot of churches. We were just kind of grabbing onto some ideas without really thinking very thoroughly about, if, is this a good idea long term? Have we really theologically considered everything that we're doing here? No. 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 Ah, we don't have time for that. No. Let's, put, let's get a logo. Let's get a postcard. Let's get a cool name. Let's let's get some of those mu- musicians to, you know, play the band. You know, we've got to get a PowerPoint up. we got to get videos. It's very short-sighted, and it and it, it actually hurts people in the long run. That's the part that I really don't like. It it, it actually works in the short term because there's – there's people that will show up because they, they're, they're frustrated, too, by all the bad experiences they've had in churches. So you can always get a few dozen people to show up when you say, hey, I'm doing something new. we got a really cool new church. Yeah. It's not like the old churches. Yep. And, and one, then, one of the things that struck me in, uh, in listening to uh, Tim Lucas's videos that they put together in that press kit is heard a lot about Star Wars. Yeah. Didn't hear it much about Jesus at all. And then one of the more awkward uh, things that they did is they literally put together a Star Wars nativity set. They replaced all of the, you know, any historical biblical characters with Star Wars characters, which kind of begs the question, you know, what do you do with the fact that they replaced Mary and Joseph with with, um, Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia, their brother and sister, and, you know... What 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 was the theological point that they were putting forward? Are we basically saying that Jesus is the result of an incestuous relationship? I mean, what is going on here? There was no thinking. In fact, one of the 
points that he made in his video, and it was in the press kit, is, you know, church doesn't have to be boring. Why, why can't church be fun? That was it. If you take that as an underlying uh, premise or as a presupposition, then you'll do any anything. It's, and it could be just as stupid as can be, but as long as you think, you know, well, we want church to be fun. You, well, I got a better idea. Instead of saying we want church to be fun, why don't we stop and think about is that a really good foundation for a church service or not? Right. I mean, when when the body of Christ, uh, you know, the you know, the, the redeemed, blood bought saints of the Lord come together, what is it that we come together to do? Do we come together to be entertained, or do we come together to do sacred and holy things? You know. What right. what 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 is the purpose for which we gather, and uh, and you know, and over and again, you know, it's just it's what ends up happening is is that the message of Christianity gets lost. Now, one of the criticisms that we got a very long email that came in, um, you know, the, the you know the the gentleman literally defended uh, Tim Lucas's decision and said, you know, listen, I know Tim Lucas personally, and he has a heart for the Lord, and he and he really cares about reaching the lost." And, uh, and, you know, and apparently, you know, because we live in such new and radical days, that calls for new and radical approaches to, right. to evangelism and doing church. And uh, it's funny because it's, this is very akin to uh, a criticism that I received very early on when I first began to critique Rick Warren a long time ago. Uh, you know, when I first started blogging about him on my first blog, which was called ExtremeTheology.com. Now, at the time, I lived in Southern California, and I was actually teaching uh, the adult Sunday school at a church that had an elementary school. And the elementary school, uh, one of Rick Warren's children uh, was uh, was a teacher there. And, uh, and so I began critiquing Rick Warren's uh, writings, starting with his, uh, you know, 40 days of community curriculum. Uh, which we were forced to, uh, you know, participate in, uh, you know, when I was teaching at that church, and I began critiquing it and, and pointing out the blatant twisting of God's word, um, you know, his absolute, you know, just slipshod way in which he ramrods his own agenda and tries to make it look like it's biblical by, you know, quoting verses out of context from multiple translations and dubious par- paraphrases <laughs> and stuff. And, Where would Rick Warren be without the message? He, I mean, he, right. he should he should be sending royalty checks to Eugene Peterson. I'm sure they do. But <laughs> what ended up happening is uh, the the pastor of the church kind of you know pulled me aside and said, you know, Chris, you know, I, I understand that you know Rick Warren's a little shallow in some of the ways he does things, and he isn't he isn't exactly a biblical scholar in his accuracy when it comes to quoting scripture. But I know the man personally, and and he has a real heart for the Lord and a heart for reaching the lost. And your criticisms are are, are divisive, and and they they're they, you you need to be quiet and just mm-hmm. understand that uh, this is his way of reaching the lost. You got to trust that his heart is in the right place. I swear that's the case. And you know, and I basically said, you know, listen, um. You know uh, the, the scriptures are clear on this. Our heart is the problem. That's not. Right. An, it's not an argument. Um, you know, and basically, what you're asking me to do is stop objectively looking at what he's saying and comparing it to God's word, like a Berean, mm-hmm. and instead just trust you that he has good motivation. But uh, you know, the last time I remembered is is that uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. 
You know, that's a, that's a common phrase that people had long before Rick Warren ever began doing things, you know, well-intentioned as they might be. But the reality is, is that these guys really do believe that Christianity cannot be preached straight up. You can't present Jesus without a gimmick. Right. Uh, yeah, and um, and if, you, if you're going to grow a quote-unquote church, you've got to make it entertaining. You have to you know, basically put pop culture in the driver's seat and uh, yeah, yeah, you know, and you know, and then basically demean all of the churches out there that are doing what we're actually called to do according to Scripture to preach the word and uh, and you know handle these things as holy as, as the oracles of God themselves and you know basically demean them and say yeah they're boring um, you know if you know, if that's your thing that's fine but church doesn't always have to be boring and and we're going to just head down this primrose pass, path and go down this other way and if you critique him oh I know his heart his heart's in right. the right place so you need to stop critiquing him. So, Chris, tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think a big part of underlying everything is Pelagianism. Yep. Because in Pelagianism, we aren't inherently born as sinners. We're kind of neutral. Yep. And we need to just do good things, and we spread God's word and God's kingdom by being good and being nice and using our human um, uh, reasoning powers, our, our ability to persuade others, to, to kind of attract people. We're the ones who are drawing people towards God. God is not capable of drawing people to himself. We need to help him. Right. It's, it's, yeah, there's, that's, there's a lot going on there. But the, the basic assumption in Pelagianism is that we are not, even though Scripture says it explicitly, that we are not born dead in trespasses and sins. Um, we might be mortally wounded. Um, it might be like, uh, you know, Monty Python's The Holy Grail. You know, <laughs> not dead yet. I'm not dead yet. Well, you will be in a minute. You know, I'm feeling <laughs> better. You know, it's, you're not fooling anyone. Um, you know, and so the idea here is, is that it's a denial that spiritually that we're corpses. And, um, and in a belief that evangelism is all about getting somebody to make a decision, a conscious right. decision you know, towards God. So there you are, you're in the mud, you're in the mire, you're almost dead. And all you have to do is lift your finger and say, yes, God, I choose you. And then God will come and he'll pull you out of the mud and, uh, and, and all things will be well. And so as a result of that, you know, the, everything that they do is all about getting somebody to make a decision. But scripture is clear. We don't choose God. God chooses us. And that right. God regenerates us, not we regenerating ourselves. And so, you know, they've, they've got this 180 degrees wrong. They're literally heading in the wrong direction, which then leads to the pragmatism that they have. Mm -hmm. um, we can justify everything that we're doing. You know, we'll, we're, we're going to open our Easter service with uh, Highway to Hell by ACDC. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking that they would never do that. No, they've already done that. That Perry Noble did that years ago. Right. A and, uh, and they'll justify it because they'll say at that service – 302 people made a decision for Jesus. And so that justifies what we did. And yeah, I, I came up with a term called the puppet principle. Okay. okay. When, when Paulette and I were, were little kids, there was a, a traveling evangelist who came to our town and he had a 
puppet that he only used sparingly. Most of the time he preached. But all we remember is when he took the puppet out of the suitcase and the puppet said, look at all the girls. And then all the kids laughed and he did a little routine for just a brief amount of time. Then he put the puppet back in the suitcase and he preached some more. And basically the puppet was a tool to get kids to show up to this puppet show. But once the kids were there, the puppet was really a small portion of what was going on. It was a, it's a bait and switch. Mm-hmm. It, so the puppet principle is using an entertaining attractional device to lure people to a church meeting where they eventually hear the gospel. However, this is bait and switch and people know it. Yeah, they do. And it, and it eventually backfires if it doesn't backfire right away. Right. I mean, it, it, the, the reality. And that's where, I, that's where I get the desperation thing from. It's like yep. the gospel isn't good enough. We're desperate. We got to get people here. What, what can we use? What do we got? What do we got? Uh, Star Wars. Star Wars. Let's use that. that. That's a big deal. That's a big thing right now. Let's use Star Wars. You know, what's it going to be next month? Uh, uh, Super Bowl. Yeah, Super Bowl. Let's use that. It really, it sounds so desperate. And then you tack onto that the gospel, and the gospel is reduced to this tiny, pathetic little thing that it never should be. Well, and. and- the, the irony is, and I've demonstrated this over and again, is is that uh, during these big gimmicky sermons, you barely, if ever, will actually hear the gospel. And at the right. end, you're not hearing the importance of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The preacher's not going to preach the law to kill you and convict you and show you that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Instead, what they're going to do is they're going to strip mine the Bible looking mm-hmm. for uh, biblical principles that if you apply these things to your life, your life will become better. And so at the end, they're going to say that somebody made a decision for Jesus when they raised their hand and said, I've made the decision to apply these three principles so that I can have better sex. Yeah, or or so that I can be happier, have well-behaved children, keep my kids off drugs, get a better job. Yeah. All those all those things are good and fine, but they are they are not the gospel. No, no they're not. And so, you know, what's happening is is that literally you're going to have a just a ton of unregenerate people right who are filling these large mega churches who believe that they're Christians because they've made a decision to apply biblical principles to their life. Yeah. And they've experienced life change. They probably have learned some new things about how to, how to have better relationships and all this stuff. And it's like, if you go to a, um, uh, a positive thinking class or a uh, um, like a Franklin Covey planner class, you'll learn many of the same things, but there won't be any Christianity involved. Right. Exactly. And so what they end up doing then is somebody's there for like three or four months. Uh, they, they they put them in front of a camera and, and, and they'll say, oh, I've got a testimony. You know, before mm-hmm. I came to Cross Point Accelerator Church, you know, um, uh, you know, my wife and I, you know, we, we weren't even sleeping in the same bed and, and things were frosty, cold and frigid in our relationship. But thanks to Pastor Lucas's Star Wars sermon, uh, we learned how to apply some principles to our marriage that have made it so that we've moved back into the same bed and things couldn't be happier. Praise Jesus. Yeah, and, you know, there's a I have a Facebook friend who was a worship pastor who went to a different city and he started his a new seeker-friendly church and he was talking about it for the weeks up to the opening service and it's like driving by the scene of an accident when I read his updates cuz I I kind of want to hear his way of thinking but it I cringe at the same time but his opening church service was not about Jesus his opening church service was about how to have a better marriage. That's how he that's how he opened up this new church. And I'm thinking, wow, 
I, I mean, I maybe wouldn't have seen that five years ago, but now I just see that as so unbelievable. Yeah, but was he offering tattoos for people <laughs> while they while he was preaching the sermon? He would have had twice as many people if he was. I tell yeah, you that. Yeah, and that's another exhibit. You know, <laughs> you know, exhibit where you got a lady getting a tattoo on her leg while the pastor's preaching the sermon, which kind of begs the question: Why are people going to church then? You know, are they to watch? You know, in order to watch the tattoo artist do his thing? That uh, was so bizarre. I was I was imagining myself in that service trying to listen to the sermon while somebody's getting a tattoo at the same time on the stage right next to the pastor. I mean, that's not a good idea. Most people have a hard time paying attention to one guy on a stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, we're probably running out of time, but I also want to mention that the messed up church is now, uh, I think as as of uh, today, we're going to have that up and running. Excellent. So, and that's that. the messed up church is, uh, is your blog. It's the blog that I started that yeah. kind of got us uh, kind of talking to one another and right. you start sharing my posts, which made my blog really grow. And, uh, and now it's just wonderful to be a part of the whole pirate Christian media conglomerate. Yeah. The, the conglomerate. <laughs> conglomerate. Hey, yeah. I, I'm just building my big media This is empire. not a conglomerate. This is the biggest shoestring operation in the history of an effective ministry. What are you we, talk- we, operate- we can't afford shoestrings. It's bubble gum and <laughs> paper clips, dude. I told you that. <laughs> yeah. We got one duct tape roll per year holding this whole thing together. <laughs> Although we so got here's, a really good looking website. We do. It's all held together with duct tape, but they don't know that because they don't see the backside like we do. Right, exactly. So if anybody's out there thinking about becoming a powder monkey, I would encourage you. We could use a new roll of duct tape, so sign up. (laughs) We need all the help we can get. All right. Well, Steve, (laughs) (laughs) thanks for... uh, for coming on and uh, and sharing, uh, you know, at least talking about the museum, I, I'm kind of bummed that we didn't get to talk about John Hagee and his, uh, his. Oh, there's so much more sax solo. But the reality is, is that uh, things are churning over at the Museum of Idolatry. Worth yep. checking in and uh, and looking at some of the latest stuff. And, you and know, once you go there, the whole idea is to look at all the other content that's on the Pirate Christian Media site. There is a ton of really good, solid content for so so anybody who looks at the wacky stuff that we are posting on the Museum of Idolatry and complains that, well, that's not really helping me. It's like, well, of course it's not really helping you. That's not the point. It's to get your attention so that you have access to all the really good, solid teaching that is there. So please take your time and read through it, everybody who's listening right now. Right, exactly. It's good stuff. All right. Well, Steve, all right. Peace, brother. We will be in touch and uh, look forward to future updates where we can talk about some of the more, you know, current uh, uh, exhibits in the Museum of Idolatry. No shortage of good stuff or bad stuff, however you look at it. It's bad. There's nothing good about it. Just (laughs) remember, there's nothing great about the great apostasy at all. That's true. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much. All right, Steve. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, Phil Pringle's sermon, famous sermon of his, the parable of the dog. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance, we preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... (laughs) 
listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Faith Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, is having a Biblical Worldview Conference February 5th and 6th, 2016, with the theme, Standing Firm in a Hostile World, to help Christians in a culture that is increasingly hostile to biblical Christianity. Speakers will include Pastor David J. Weber, Attorney Mark Stern, Professor Alan Quist, Dr. Adam Francisco, and Pastor Joseph Abrahamson. Registration and details can be found at worldviewsa.org. Again, that's worldviewsa.org. Number two, we're well into it here at Fighting for the Faith. Going to listen to one of the sermons that Phil Pringle is most proud of, but shouldn't be. But let's do this right. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon 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 comes to us via c3 church san diego california dr phil pringle presiding the name of the uh, sermon is the parable of the dog and all i can say is yeah it's an utter train wreck Those of you who are proponents of the uh, so-called Lordship Salvation Doctrine, (laughs) you will be embarrassed by this. I apologize, but it's necessary. So I think you get the point. Now let me go ahead and back off on the music, and I think we'll just have to get right to it. So without any further ado, here is a doctor, Phil Phil Pringle, and uh, his (laughs) sermon entitled The Parable of the Dog. Here we go. Okay, I want to uh, uh, hear tonight uh, uh, take, take a line that I, I wouldn't normally do this, take this, this sort of message to uh, a church uh, for when I'm doing just one weekend. Okay, this is like uh, the kind of message I preach to my church. Okay, so this is like, this is like, you know, like, uh, I, get, I get moved when I think about uh, 
these sorts of things because this is, uh, this is, uh, this is like ultimate purpose. This is uh, not. He's really moved. He's going to be talking about ultimate purpose. I, I'm, I'm, I'm already stricken with grief. Not like an, this is not like an ice cream message, okay? This is like uh, something that is foundational for you to really understand about what's going on in your life. And it's called the parable of the dog. Uh, so, uh, uh, which, by the way, the parable that he'll be telling is not actually found in Scripture. It is not one of Jesus's parables. So uh, here, it, and so just bear with me. I'm going to kind of have a lot of seemingly random thoughts, but uh, and then gonna, they're going to bring them together. But the big, the big message of this, I'll just give you the backdrop, is that there is a huge difference between Jesus is Lord and Jesus is my Lord. We all know He's the Lord of the universe, that He is the ultimate sovereign. There's nothing that is, escapes His power and His rule. He has been given the seat by God that rules the universe. But whether He rules my personal universe is up to me. It's my decision as to whether or not Jesus is going to be my Lord. And so I... Now notice he's not actually exegeting any biblical text. Let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So the one who can confess and does confess that Jesus is Lord does so by an act of the Holy Spirit. God has moved them to do so. So we've got an interesting thing going on here. And by the way, to say Jesus is Lord is to say Jesus is God. And do atheists say Jesus is Lord? Not that I'm aware of. I don't know any atheists. Unbelievers say, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord. Uh Uh-uh. So this is a weird dichotomy that he's making, and I'm going to make this claim. He's not making this claim based on a biblical text because he's not preaching from a biblical text. We continue. Uh, Seeing a huge amount of believers who know Jesus as their Savior, but they haven't crossed the line where he's their Lord. Uh, okay, so we got a bunch of Christians where Jesus is Savior, but he's not Lord. What does that mean? I mean, I, I don't understand. If the call of the gospel, the imperatives of the gospel is to repent of your sins and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you know, then um, and it's God who's the one who regenerates you, raises you from death to life. Anybody who is a regenerate Christian, Jesus is Lord, includes Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord. This is a false dichotomy. He's not making this dichotomy based upon a biblical text. So it's the difference between him giving his life for you so you could be saved, and now you giving your life for him so the world can be saved. Uh Uh-huh wrong. 
Again, false dichotomy, not from a text. So this is a step, though, that not even some pastors have taken. And somehow their gifting has got them into... So uh, somebody who is a pastor, who is, uh, you know, somebody who is a baptized, penitent believer in Jesus Christ, who's studied and shown himself approved as a workman who need not blush with embarrassment, who can rightly handle the word of truth, the one who is caring for and feeding Christ's sheep and proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins and making disciples... That guy is only saved but hasn't made Jesus Lord? What are you talking about? But they're still at the center of their universe and haven't really enthroned Jesus as the Lord of their life. Uh And what exactly does that mean? How do you know when you've uh, finally enthroned Jesus as the Lord of your life? This sounds like a sneaky form of works righteousness to me. Now, this is, this is the deal that uh, you've got to understand. God will not take you to a trial that is beyond your commitment. Um, where in Scripture does it say that God won't take me through a trial beyond my commitment? I'm not familiar with that passage. How can you speak this about God unless God has spoken this about himself and revealed it in his written word? A trial is a compliment from God to you of your level of commitment. If you can't handle it, he's not. Law, 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 law. Not law and gospel rightly distinguished. This is just pure law. This is works righteousness, if you ask me. I'm going to give it to you. He'd rather keep you in the kingdom than lose you through, an unnecessary, through a necessary trial, but one that you couldn't keep up with. Because the word level in you was not equal to the problem you were facing. Because your commitment to the local church was not strong enough to keep you through the offense to the other side. Because you keep popping out of this one and that one and going all over the place. Yeah, no, the pastor's in the house. He's, uh, he's talking. <laughs> so here, here we're going to talk about this, um, this, this uh, wild little story that began in our house. Uh, at the Not in Scripture. It began in his house. Hmm. Why is he preaching something that happened in his house? as if somehow it contains biblical doctrine that I need to believe? Out of this year with a new dog. Uh, we've always had dogs in our house, and uh, some of them have been animals. And, uh, but, you know, we got this. We had these dogs in our house, okay, but th- then Chris wanted a little West Highlander. And so about oh, 12, 14 years ago, the women's conference presented her with a little West Highlander and uh, it was cute, a little fluffy little thing. And, you know, I sort of kicked it around a bit, uh, but eventually got to love it. And, uh, and we didn't do anything with it. It just, just found its way and we'd get it to do things kind of, you know, we never really trained it. And so it was an annoying dog sometimes, like eating a meal and it would, it would just walk around your feet, go, <laughs> waiting for you to feed it or give it some food. You get into bed and you go, jump on the bed and kind of come up around your head and lick and, and the smells. My God, I don't know where they get that methane gas from, but it, it just had to light a candle and boom. Uh, and, and then it wouldn't do some things. It wouldn't jump up in the car. You had to pick it up. And it was just like, 
and, and it barked at people who would walk by. And, but then when you came home, it'd go, <laughs> and so all was forgiven. You know, you're just because uh, it smiled and was excited to see us, which is why most people keep a dog. And uh, at least someone in the world is excited to see them. And uh, yeah, so, 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 so the deal, the deal with this, this dog, we, we got, well, you know, he went to dog heaven uh, last year. Don't talk to me about that theology. It's, you know, I, I don't care. Amen. <laughs> there may be a dog heaven. I don't know. But, okay. So he, he, uh, we got that, we got this little, little, uh, like thing, uh, two months old and we said, we're going to train it. So we're going to train, we're going to train the dog. And, uh, so it's two months old, two, two months. And I ring, I ring up the trainer and say, when should we train the dog? About six, six months. She said, no, how old is he? Two months. He said, now, are you kidding me? This, this thing's just, you know, like a little, little random little one. <laughs> Crazy thing. You know, uh, it doesn't know it's right ear from its left leg. It's, it's just, it's crazy. It's Tuesday and it doesn't know what's going on. And she said, no, no, right now. Right now you train the dog. I said, okay, uh, you, you, why don't you come around? She said, it's 150 bucks. So Chris organized it. And I said, are you kidding me? 150 bucks? What's she going to come around? I said, the gate's in the right place. The fence is in the right place. Yes. The door, yeah. So this is going to be such a waste of money. So she comes around and I got to tell you, it's probably the best 150 bucks I've ever spent in my life. Because I got so much preaching out of it. And, uh, okay, so, so, and now to some of you old farm hands here, this is all like basic knowledge. You know, oh, city kid, you know, doesn't know a thing. But this is my first experience at training a dog. Okay, so in comes Fiona. And so we're, we're getting the food ready for the dog, you know, getting, and the dog's down here going, ow, ow. Like excited and barking, and, get, and and so you kind of get nervy, you know. You're like, oh, oh, all right, I'm getting the food, and then you, you're going over, and she says, whoa, 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 whoa. She says, this is bad. We're going, what? This is just how we feed our dog, you know. He barks, we give the food, and so uh, she says, no, it's nothing like that. It's it's trying to rule you. You got to tell it when it's going to eat, so it never eats until you've eaten. So you eat first and make it sit over there. And when you've finished eating, you can go and give it some food. Okay, that's the first thing. Because it's a pack animal and the lead dog always eats first and then the other one can come and eat what's left. Okay, so remember what I said at the first? Jesus is Lord. Amen. <laughs> He's my Lord. So anyway, this little uh, dog starts barking, barking. And she gets the food. She's got the leash on the dog. Takes the bowl, puts food down, and a little pipe is back. Take the bowl. The bowl of food is here. He gets about here. There's the food right there. She's holding him, right? And he goes, Starts barking. Five minutes. Barking. Ten minutes. Fifteen minutes. I said, how long does this take? This is just cruel. She says, no, it's training. 
She said, how long? I said, how long does this take? She says, as long as it takes. I said, I need you to meet my children. She said this, now that we've started, we can't stop. Because if we give him now, he thinks you'll get it because he barks. We're waiting for him to get calm and quiet. 25 minutes, 30 minutes. She said, I don't know. I haven't got another appointment until four o'clock. This was 11 o'clock in the morning. He needs to break. He's he's just getting worn out. He's just getting so tired of barking. Again, note, this is not in the Bible. Everyone's going, oh, wow, wow. All he's doing is telling the story about how this woman he paid trained his West Highland Terrier. There is no theology in this at all. None. Christian doctrine doesn't come from your life experiences. Christian doctrine, biblical orthodoxy, is derived from and has its source only in the written word of God. These people are being deceived. Finally, he sits back, just a little tired, but he's shaking. Ears are up. I said, and, and about time now, because I'm, I'm a kind person. You know, I want to say, isn't that time? She said, no, he's not calm and quiet. He's... <laughs> We're waiting for calm and quiet. So finally, he gets all settled down. It's about another 10 minutes. She goes, all right, taps the side of the ball and lets him go. And he goes, like this. He's wolfing it. She says, that's a bad way to eat. He shouldn't wolf it. She takes it away from him. Amen. He takes it away from him. Amen. Why would I say amen to this? I mean, this is like saying that I'm going to get my biblical doctrine from the dog whisperer. Yeah. Caesar rest his soul. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, I don't think so. She puts it down, lets him about that far away again. He's just barking, barking, barking. Takes about 10 minutes this time. Finally, he starts. (laughs) Shaking. She says, we're waiting for calm and quiet. Finally, he's calm and quiet. He doesn't care if he gets He's broken. She goes like that. He walks over and he goes. It's unbelievable. It's a delight to watch. Every day now, I walk down to the bench. He sees me coming, getting the food. He sits there calm and quiet. I put the food down. I walk away. I can walk around the house. I come back. He's still sitting there. I say, go ahead. You need it. He goes. She said this. 
she said, He's having she technical said, she issues. Said, God, you see three people are liberated, man. Whoa, what was that? <laughs> I'm in training. Don't worry about it. We're good. Uh, we'll, we'll use this one. You don't even need to worry about that. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Actually, uh, don't worry. We'll, we'll figure it out when we get there. Okay, so magic's kind of been broken now, hasn't it? You know, we've got to get back there. Okay. I'm trying to give authenticity to the dog story. It's my tail, baby. Do you want to try the other one? Have you got another one? Why don't we try that? It's my wallet. Thank you very much. What's happening now? Oh, you turn it off. Right. Okay. Good. Okay. So here's the thing. She said, if dogs are allowed to do whatever they want, they develop a bloated ego. And they are badly behaved and embarrass their owners. They mess with other people's dogs, big dogs. They'll bark and yap at other people. And they're really not a good ambassador of your family. If we can control the food, we can control every other area of the dog's world. There's always one area that God is going to train you in that breaks you. Um, Again, do you have a biblical text for that, Phil? I'd, I'd like to see that text, please. I want you to come to some passages with me. Oh, it's about time. I can't wait to see what these say. Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So the purpose that God has for you now I know I know that a lot of a lot of so notice we didn't get any real part of Romans we just got Romans eight twenty nine well here's the problem is that this is what's called proof texting he starts off with his theology his story his parable his life experience makes a claim and now he's going to go hunt in the Bible to find a verse that looks like it's teaching what it is that he just taught. Yet, if this is what the Bible taught, then all he had to do was open up to Romans chapter 8, read it in context, 
And then we'd all see, oh, yeah, see, yeah, that's this is what God wants. We have to be broken like dogs. Here's what it says, Romans 8, verse 26, are three rules for sound biblical exegesis are context, context, and, well, context. Here's what it says, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who God who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he is also glorified. Well, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him also graciously give us all things? Who shall shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I read the verses before, starting at verse 26, kept reading all the way to verse 37. And when I read it, does it sound like um, that God is saying, well... You got to make, you you know, those, there's a lot of you out there who, you know, Jesus is Savior, but, well, Jesus isn't Lord. And you need to be broken like dogs. Yeah. No, it doesn't say that at all. And the reason why he went to verse 29 is because he sees the word conformed. He looked it up and, okay, so I I can shoehorn this verse into my experiential theology that I'm getting from, you know, my dog trainer. And because it has the word conformed, I can make up all kinds of stuff now and, and make, it cl- make it look like this passage is teaching it, but it's not. That's what Phil Pringle's doing. Preaching and messages are going to tell you, you've got a purpose. You've got a destiny, and you have, without any shadow of a doubt, every single individual in this place. Uh, so he's preaching the dream destiny doctrine thingy. Yeah, uh, Romans eight twenty nine doesn't teach the uh, dream destiny doctrine thing. He does it. Nope, not at all. Not a destiny, but you will never discover that destiny unless Jesus is your personal Lord. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, Romans eight twenty nine doesn't say that either. What Bible are you reading? Not just your personal Savior. Until He gets the rule of your life and can train you, so that you are calm and quiet even when you haven't got what you want. Because he's more important to you than the stuff that he can give you. You see, because there are three boys in the Old Testament 
Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And they are saying, they're saying to the king, we're not going to bow down and worship your gods. And king, you can throw us in the fire. What exactly does Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to do with this dog training theology? And our God is able to deliver us. And he says, we're going to find out if your God is big and powerful and if he can deliver you. They said, that's cool. Yeah, we're good with that. Because he is able to deliver us. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, we're okay with that. We're still good. Because he's more important to us than our own deliverance. And sometimes our preaching and our teaching and the kind of messages we want to hear are all about what God will do for me. But ultimately, you're not going to be a happy person if everything is done for you. There's got to come a day when you're doing something for him. That's your sweet spot. Yeah, uh, which text says this? You're making all these assertions, doctrinal, theological assertions, claims regarding what God wills for me to do, what he can't do, what I'm supposed to do. And you've only read one verse out of context that doesn't say any of the things that you are saying. Now, every, every time I play golf, and that's only about once a year, Pretty well every time, there'd be maybe maybe once on the first nine, once on the second nine, I hit like the perfect shot. And that's called my sweet spot. You know, you just don't even think you've hit the thing. A bong. Mostly, the professional says to me, you're standing too close to the ball after you've hit it. And uh, my... My, 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 my problem is, is that I don't hit that sweet spot. But a Christian sweet spot is when you're doing what the gift is on the inside of you. Okay, now notice another uh, doctrine from personal experience. Uh, apparently uh, now golfing and the so-called sweet spot that has to do with uh, hitting a golf ball is now informing us what God's will is for our lives. We've got to learn to find our Christian sweet spot. You got a biblical text that says that, Phil? But for you to get to that place of yieldedness and discovering what that personal destiny is for you, you've really got to understand what God's general destiny is for every person on the earth. And that is that Christ is formed in you. That you are... Where does it say that in order to find my dream destiny thingy, I've got to first understand that Christ wants to be formed in me? Again, where are you getting this doctrine? This is not found in the Bible, and you're not actually showing me anything that's in the Scripture. You're not even saying anything that's in the Scripture. Where are you getting this nonsense? Did you just make it up? Oh, well, I had an experience. I played golf, and I trained my dog. So I got to get my theology from training my dog and from playing golf. Well, I've played golf and I've trained several dogs. And none of my doctrine or theology is actually drawn from either of those experiences. I've also washed cars. I've washed the dishes. I've walked the dogs. I've changed dirty diapers. I've raised three children. Yet none of my doctrine or theology is based on any of those experiences. Why are you getting your doctrine and the things you're preaching about from your life experiences. 
That is not where Christian doctrine comes from. And created after the pattern of Jesus, that you start to look like the Son of God. And he has many processes by which he's going to accomplish that. Now, you've been down on the altar call and you said, God, use me. God, I surrender. I give you my life. Whatever you need to do. You idiot. Why did you pray that? Because he heard you. And now you're complaining and saying, God, why are you taking me through this stuff? I'm getting broken. You're grinding me to powder. Because he's shaking your hand, giving you a compliment and saying, you can cope with this. You may not realize it right now, but... It says no biblical text anywhere in the Bible at all. On the side of this, a big piece of Jesus is going to be formed on the inside of you. And here's the thing. He is committed. He's not going to give up just because you're barking halfway through the training. Being confident, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2. Okay, still proof texting. Uh, verse, another verse out of context. Yeah, the Bible doesn't teach this theology. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Ephesians 2.10, we are his poema. He's making your life rhyme. That's the Greek word for workmanship. It's also related to a sculptor. Michelangelo, when he looked at a block of marble, he stated, I can see an angel in there and I'm going to release the angel in that block of marble and he would chip away and you will find that a lot of what God does in your life is elimination, not just addition. There's stuff that's in us that we've, hold, we've held on to and it's taken away. There might be people who've gone out of your world or things you used to have. You might have even lost a whole bunch of money. You might have had some failures. But let me tell you, they will teach you more in your life than walking a mile with laughter. Just walking a few feet with pain is going to teach you more and put more inside of you than anything else. You've got to understand that following Jesus is not always going to be laughter. It's not always going to be celebration. And you're going to now that's true, but there's biblical texts, 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 texts that actually say that quite explicitly. Come into the house of God, and even if there are no calves in the stall, no new life in you, there's no blossom on the tree. It's winter, and everybody else's tree is blossoming and has fruit. They got leaves. Your poor old dead-looking tree is still in winter. It's a season that's been going on for years. But still, though there's been no blossom on the trees and those calves in the stall, I will still worship the Lord in the middle of my pain, in the middle of my difficulty, in the middle of my serious moments in life. Yeah, you keep preaching about yourself. That's weird. Yeah, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Here's the thing. Jesus needs to be your Lord on the basics for you to get to be, for him to get to be your Lord in the specifics. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that even means. And you got a biblical text for that? I'd like to see you back that up from the Bible without proof texting. 
if he's not the Lord on the basics, it's never going to be that he'll be your Lord in the specifics of your life. So the calling that you got on your life is something that's going to escape you if you just won't actually come under his lordship. Yeah, again, there's no biblical text. You're just teaching mythology here, dude. In the basics. Many are going to call me Lord, Lord, he says on that day, but they don't do what I say. They say Jesus is Lord. Yeah, like you saying that Jesus is Lord, but actually not doing what his word says to preach the word. You mean like you. But I'm not really their Lord. He says they are lawless. They have no disciplines and boundaries. Yep, that would be uh, how I would describe you, Phil Pringle. And without, law, without laws and rules and disciplines and boundaries, you will have no depth of character. You will have no strength of character. When it comes to being remaining in your marriage, when it comes to raising your children, when it comes to handling your money, it's not about having a good show on Sunday and living like the hell of the devil are during the rest of the week. It's actually, you need to know how to live your life from Monday to Friday and learn it right here in the house of God. We live in a world where people have zero character strength. I'm constantly dealing with people who'll tell me lies straight to my face, and these are Christians. Yeah, like the way you're lying to the people right now on stage during the sermon. Right. People who steal money from God every week in their tithing. Uh, People who blaspheme God and twist his word and teach their own man-made doctrines as if they're the commands of God. You got to stop it, people. You got to get real with God and say, Jesus is my Lord. So apparently, the way you make Jesus Lord is by writing a check to um, C3 Church. Yeah, I don't think so. And not just say, Lord, Lord. I'm scared for some people. They're not going to make it. He says, Depart from me. You call me Lord, but you're not doing what I'm doing. And we try to inspire people, but there's got to come a point where you're simply obedient. Yeah, you want to be saved, you better write a check to C3. We live in a world where we're trying to entertain people and inspire people and motivate people and with positive stuff to get them to do stuff for God. Did you catch that? He says, we're trying to entertain people. He just admitted it. He just admitted that C3 Church, one of these seeker-driven type megachurches, he just admitted that they're trying to entertain people. Wow. Wow. And yet there were no pangs of guilt when he said it. Absolutely fascinating. And it's all like ice cream preaching. And then along comes teaching that says, oh, it's all grace. You can get away with just about anything and God will still be on your case. He'll still love you and you're okay. I got to tell you, I read the scriptures and some people are not okay. They got Christian jewelry around their neck, but nothing else going on. You got to understand that Jesus is saying, follow me. Get behind me. And he's not talking to the devil. He's just saying, don't get out in front of me. Make me your Lord so that I can lead you. So again, let me give you the four basics. Number one is prayer. He says, you've got to be a prayerful person to connect with me. Number two, you've got to read the Bible so I can connect with you. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta. Yet if you're regenerate, somebody whom Christ has raised from the grave and has forgiven their sins, you will pray. You will read your Bible. How can you do otherwise? 
and feed you. And not just read the Bible, but meditate on Scripture. Yeah, so that you can twist it like him. He clearly doesn't really meditate on God's Word. He's twisting it. Three, you need to serve in the house of God. Yeah, you want to be saved, you better serve in the house of God, because otherwise Jesus isn't Lord. That means volunteering many, 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 many hours that you'll never be compensated for. Yeah, otherwise you won't go to heaven, you know. You've got to be doing something for God. We can't just sit here. If you sit there every week, listen to me. If you sit there every week, I've been doing this for 42 years. I've watched the people who sit, they just sour. Yeah, you can't even be saved unless you uh, volunteer at church. This is salvation by works, by the way. They just sour. They justify their inaction with criticism. I'm not getting involved because I don't trust the play. You know, they said they did that. It's time to get over that. Without therapy, just get over it. Amen. Just do it. And you're going to find yourself in a stronger place because you decided I will be an overcomer. I'm going to get over my grudge. I'm going to get over my hatred. I'm going to get over my offenses. And you could be sitting here right now hating your wife, upset with your children, upset with your parents. Just get over it right now. Forgive them, the Bible says. I know that might sound tough, but that's what Jesus is calling us to. Enduring hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And all the men said, (laughs) so the first just the whole basis of being in the house of God Jeremiah went down to the potter's house down at the potter's house he saw the potter making a vessel and you see God has saved you with a purpose in mind and once you accept that he is your Lord he's going to put you on a wheel somewhere And those of you who are here tonight are on a wheel called this church. The wheel is the church. And it goes round, Sunday, 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 connect group, connect group, college, Sunday, 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 connect group. Does this ever finish? I'm just going round, round. I'd like to go over there somewhere, you know, like, no, stay, stay on the wheel. That's where his hand is going to come on you. He dug you out of the river bank, put you on the wheel, and the, the local church is the potter's house, baby. Go talk to TD, amen. And so he pours water on you. Okay, so you're this lump of clay, and you've managed to get yourself stuck on a habit of living. That's a lifestyle now. You're going round and round and round. The reason I'm doing this with my leg is because when I did pottery, they didn't have electric ones. So I'll get modern, amen. You're just going round and round and round. And, and he pours water on you and you go, whoa, I'm getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Whoa, I've got a heavenly language. I must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you, the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is trouble. You have suddenly entered into a, a realm where you are spiritually powerful. And, and one of the people that you're going to have to deal with more than anybody else is actually not the devil, but God himself. Because now he's got you all slippery. You didn't used to be slippery, but now he's poured the Holy Spirit on you. And you're all kind of, oh, God, I love you. Oh, Jesus, you're awesome. Amen. Yeah, I, I don't know what this is. None of this is from the Bible. This is just made up theology. 
So you're slippery. You're gooey. You're soft. Amen. So he's got to go around. The first thing he goes for is the inside. So the thumb comes down right down the center of you. And he needs to put his thumb and his, his thumb print on your soul. There's got to be a God factor. That- so now he's getting theology from his experience of molding clay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Inside you. And then he squeezes. I don't know if you've ever done pottery, but you squeeze the edge of that. So his theology so far has come from dog training, from his experience at pottery, and you kind of get the point. He's, yeah, all of his theology is coming from his own life experiences rather than the written word of God. This is no source for theology. Clay, and it thins out and gets higher. As, he, as you accept the squeeze, you will rise. There's not a ministry in the world today doing something for God that hasn't felt the squeeze in the hand of God. The only way you will rise in life is if there's pressure. You only find what's inside a person once there is a squeeze. If honey comes out, that's awesome. But for some people, they get the squeeze, hydrochloric acid comes out. You will discover who you are under pressure. That's who you really are. I know people who are sweet as pie until you just do a little scratch on the surface and you do a little corrective. Now, I'm preaching, so it's a little difficult for you to have a conversation with me. But I have this kind of conversation, this kind of strength of conversation with individuals sometimes, and the reaction is, 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 is surprising. Amen. All I am saying is that when you are under pressure, discover Jesus on the inside of you. Don't react with... Yeah, again, just because you have experience working with pottery or clay doesn't mean that this is where we're going to get our theology from and that somehow I can learn what to expect from Jesus because you spent some time on a pottery wheel. Uh, yeah, your job is to preach the word, not your experiences. Old man nature. This, by the way, is what we call worldly wisdom. This is not the wisdom of God, nor is this biblical theology the bible simply says put off the old man and put on the new one in brackets without therapy amen just do it put off that old nature don't scratch that itch oh you so badly want to scratch it you so badly want to look at that thing in the computer oh you so badly want to go out with him oh you oh you just want to scratch itch don't just don't Calm and quiet. Calm and quiet. Calm and quiet. Just don't scratch it. Yeah, there you go. So this, the, how, do you, uh, how do you have any progress in addressing sin? Yeah, when the itch comes, just don't scratch it. Yeah, there's... Who knew it was this that simple, right? That's called discipline. That's called depth of character. That's called strength of character. But when we just do what we want, scratch that, scratch that. Oh, sorry, God, grace, grace, grace. You know, we never develop any character. He can't build on that. Sorry, God, grace, grace, grace. Yeah, so the forgiveness of sins basically keeps you away from building character. Yeah, the scripture teaches the exact opposite of this. You will have no improvement whatsoever in the area of sanctification unless you truly understand grace, mercy, and the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross.
He's not going to build any kingdom on that. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. We're on this wheel. We're going round and round. We get high, but we hit a little lump in here. Just hit a little lump from God. Didn't bring it out. So the wall's getting thinner, but suddenly the lump appears. Boom, boom, boom. Cuts the whole thing. Got to start again. Better to deal with stuff at the early days rather than let it get discovered later when all, all the elevation is happening. Don't be nervous about how long it takes. I know you're impatient. I know you're wondering when the destiny is going to happen. Jesus, when it took 30 years, we don't know what happened to him in those 30 years before he got released. The hidden years, just one little moment when he's 12 years old. Nobody's got a clue. Isaiah reveals some of morning by morning, he wakens my ear. But I know one thing, the book of Hebrews says he was learning obedience. Because he had flesh and that flesh doesn't want to obey. It doesn't want to make Jesus Lord. It wants to rebel. But he was learning obedience and it's a mixture of us making the decision committing ourselves to the basics and the work of God breaking us so that we can actually obey him. And as he, as his wheel is going around, this, this thing goes up again. You get more Holy Spirit on you, water on you. Finally, you got a shape. You feel like, whoa, God's, God's got me all shaped up here. Something's going to happen now. And sure enough, this big spatula comes under the pot. Whoa, I'm moving. Oh God, God's going to use me. Something's going to happen. And you go over and he's putting you up on a shelf with all these other pots that you've been critical of because they, they just sit around up there taking little connect groups, running little prayer ministries, doing little things on the street. Not you. You're going to be a preacher. You know, all these guys there, you're just one of them sitting on a shelf in church every week. How long does this take, God? As long as it takes. Calm and quiet. On the shelf, calm and quiet. I'm happy, Jesus. I'm cool. I'm good with anything. Got some movement. Got some movement. Wow. We're, we're going to go to the nations. We're going to go. No, Jesus, not that way. The, the door's over there. Jesus, no, no, that's the hut thing. That, that, what is that? I, I heard screams coming out of there. There's a kiln. He hasn't chosen you yet. In the furnace of affliction, I have chosen you. Are you going to crack in the fire? That's what he's looking for. Bang, comes into the kiln, shuts the door. You're standing in the fire. Calm and quiet. This is hot, Jesus. I, I thought we were ready to go. Finally, you come out and now you don't care. Because you've been through the wheel, the shelf, the fire. In 1971, I got saved, born again. I was made a leader of a youth group. And, uh, and a revival was breaking out. Like in one year, we led 1,200 hippies to Jesus in our house. Social misfits, criminals, drug addicts, dragging them off the streets, putting them in our house, all kinds of stuff. It was amazing, amazing revival. We were on the, in the newspaper, on the news, all kinds of things. So now we're going to get more theology from Phil Pringle's personal experiences. 
This is worldly wisdom. This is not biblical doctrine. In the middle of it all, a man came from Sydney, Australia, and he spoke at our, asked him to speak at our youth group. When he saw what was going on and the life and the vibrancy and all this happening, he said, we need this in Sydney. And, and it went like an explosion on the inside of me. Boom. I said, God, you're cold. I feel something. I think we're going to go to Sydney. So I kept on being a youth leader. They eventually made me an associate pastor. But this was like two years later. So in 1975, they wrote me a letter and they said, if you'd like to consider coming, we're going to send you the air tickets. And they did send us the air tickets. And, uh, and we've got a position for you on the staff here and all, all this. So I started packing up. I said, wow, God's call us. This is our time, baby. Told Chris, we packed up. We leased the house out. We got on the plane and we took off with all of our goods, landed in Sydney, Australia. But I had no peace in my heart. None whatsoever. I knew I was not doing what God wanted me to do. But when I asked him, God, do you want me to go to Sydney? You know, and I'd get yes, no. I say, God, that's very confusing. (laughs) But I knew exactly what he meant. I just confused my mind because I wanted to fulfill my agenda for how I was going to serve God. I knew he meant yes, but not now. He wanted me to have the vision and wait. Because when you get the vision, he's got... Yeah, uh, where in the Bible are we taught this theology? Hmm? Yeah, I, I don't understand. Make you the person who can fulfill that vision. The Bible doesn't teach this. But I didn't think God was fair because he was giving me the vision, getting me all excited about it and not letting me at it. I was a dog on a leash with a plate of meat in front of me. Arr, 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 arr. But I needed to see the vision while I went through the fire. So- right, because, yeah, you trained a dog once and, um, yeah, you have experience working with clay on a potter's wheel. Right, yeah, that's how we get our doctrine, right. We continue. I could be shaped into the kind of person who could fulfill what the vision was. If I didn't have the vision, I wouldn't be conformed to the image of the specific calling that God had for me. So during all that time, I'm still reading the Bible, praying, being in church, tithing. That was the number four. I didn't get the number four. Tithing, what your pastor was telling you before, if he's truly Lord, you'll tithe. Yeah, if you don't tithe, well, then you're you're just going to go to hell. Yeah, that's basically what he's saying. So here's the deal. I'm in Sydney, and here's the weird thing. We had revival. We started preaching at Kissing Point Road in the Scout Hall, and every Friday night we'd have maybe 10, 15 people, hippies again, all these drug addicts coming to Christ. They'd be out in the the Volkswagen smoking a bong, and then they'd come in all stoned out of their head and get saved. And they kept on doing that for about three weeks, four weeks. And we told them, hey, you know, maybe get stoned on a rock. And uh, kind of hippie talk. And, uh, and so, so that confused me too. And when I would preach in that church, it was the biggest church in Sydney. It was like a noted church all around the world. Power of God would fall. 
Gifting still works. But giftings aren't what God's looking for. He's not looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability. He's not looking for your gifting. Yeah, there's a slogan there. He's not looking for your gifting. He's looking for your availability. Yeah, again, no biblical text says this. Where is he getting any of this theology? He will say, I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons. I I heal the sick in your name. Well, I don't know you. You're living lawless lives. And so he says, while he's being lawless and not preaching God's word, strange and ironic to know that I am not just Lord, but I'm your Lord. And that there's somebody in this world who can rule your life and get you to do something that you don't want to do. And so finally, I'm, I decided after six months of waking up every morning, feeling sick with anxiety that I'd pack up our family and go back to, to New Zealand. Christchurch. So we did. A, a prophet came into that church, prophesied that somebody here has to make a big decision about the will of God. I says, he, he said, you got to wrestle this bull to the ground. It's trying to, it's going to destroy you otherwise. So uh, I, and, and all, not one other person agreed with him. The pastors all said, no, look at the blessing of God on you. Look at all this going on. But inside I knew that peace had disappeared. My dispeace was being the umpire in guiding that decision. So I got up, my head was in turmoil. As soon as we got back to New Zealand, I was at peace again. But I was extremely discouraged. I went to church. I gave up the ministry. I, d- I said, I don't want to serve. I, don't want, I can't figure out the voice of God. I'm, I'm not built for this. And I was a postman. So I was posting letters for one year. The church wrote me a letter again. said, well, you've had time to consider your position now. Why don't you... Again, think, you know, we've still got the position open for you over here. We'd love to have you come back and be part of the team. I go, wow, it's God. He's speaking again. He's, he's opened the door. Again, I felt the dispeace, but I kept on crashing through it, kept crashing through it and packed up the box. Finally, on the morning that we were meant to go, we'd said goodbye to the church that given us a gift and, uh, and we were about to go to the airport. And, uh, and I said to Chris, I can't go. I'm still in this piece about this. I, I'm, I've just been a rebel against this will of God. I got to do what God is telling me. I'm sorry, babe, but we're not going. So now I was, I was like broken. I felt something go snap deep down on the inside of me. A person called I, me. And that scripture in Galatians 2.20 was like neon lights to me. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And so finally, in that broken state, which was at another six months, I was a postman, went back to being a postman. I was so discouraged. I I couldn't think properly. I was confused. I tried to go back to painting. I painted two paintings that didn't really get finished. I tried to sell them, not one sold. So I just was a postman thinking this is, my, this is the rest of my life. Then one, one morning, I could take you to the place today in Christchurch where I was cycling along and God spoke to me. He said, go start a church in Littleton. Yeah, I don't think that was God. N- not at all. Because I'm not hearing any biblical doctrine, real Christian theology, real anything that's coming from the Bible. I hear you exegeting all of your life experiences and creating now some kind of weird pattern 
some very irrational pattern that we're all supposed to follow in our own lives. Well, because, you know, one time you had a dog trained and you spent some time working with clay on a potter's wheel. You know, that, that'll, there's where you get your theology from, you know. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I got so excited. If I came to you today as Phil Pringle, leader of the C3 movement, and said, you go start a church in Middleton, you'd look at me like I was crazy because it's the tiniest town in New Zealand. That's why it's called Little Town. He sent me into the backside of a desert. I was out there for two years and a Fijian came by and he said, we're going to do a Love India project. Will you come? So we sold the Volkswagen that we had. I bought an air ticket, flew off to India. We had to land in Sydney on the way through. As I landed in Sydney, the Spirit of the Lord said to me, now's the time. I said, whoa, don't you come talking to me anymore about Sydney. There's no way I'm going there. I said, you're, 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 you're not good to deal with. When I want to do it, you're not into it. But now I don't want to do it, you're right into it. He said, that's exactly right. I'm your Lord. How convenient of him. Wow, yeah. Wow. Now I'm your Lord because like the little dog, you know, you finally have been broken. Yeah, I don't think so. The Bible doesn't teach this concept at all. Servant. And so I was a broken guy feeling like God, the only way I was standing up is because God had a hold of both shoulders. We landed in Sydney one year later. I took a long time to make it come to pass. And boom, stuff started to happen that I couldn't even begin to believe. It's not just about having faith. I'm a full-on believer in faith. It's not just about, it's not just about having a vision. It's not just about having a team. It's about Jesus Christ ruling over your life as your sovereign Lord. And this is how it gets enacted. Before you're going to do something, ask him, shall I pursue? With your marriage, you want to marry that girl. Lord, most of us don't do that because we're too scared he'll say no. That's called a lack of trust. That's called not realizing that God is good and that he loves you. And that if he says no, it's only the best thing. But because you got that itch you want to scratch, you rush ahead. Yeah, this is not Christian sanctification, like not even close. 20 years later, you're all in a mess. God loves you so much, he will try and stop you from doing things that are going to hurt you. But if we would be obedient to his lordship over our lives, we're going to find blessing. That's the key to the blessing of heaven resting on our lives. You've got to realize we're dealing with a real Jesus, a real God. Yet you, you don't draw your theology from his real words, but from your life experiences. Uh-huh. And you say Jesus is your Lord, really. Jesus says, if you love me, you will guard my word. Huh, weird. Who's deeply involved in your life, and he who has begun a good work in you, will complete it. All right. So there you go. That was the parable of the dog, and that was just a dog of a sermon. I made the point many times, and I'll kind of end with the same point. We as Christians, the only source of our doctrine and our theology is God's written word, not our life experiences. No matter how profound you found training your dog was in your life, and how amazing the experience was of sitting at a potter's wheel or 
or anything like that. Nope, all of our doctrine comes from the written word of God. What Phil Pringle here did was basically teach us nothing and create nothing but complete uncertainty in the lives of the people listening to this stuff, thinking they're hearing a word from God, when in fact all they were hearing was uh, the musings and anecdotes of the life and times of Phil Pringle with some Jesus words sprinkled in for good measure to make it look like a sermon. Really, truly sad. They were not brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, and they have no clue what real biblical Christian sanctification is really all about. Unfortunate, sad, but true. What did you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you. Grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>